0: Welcome to another episode of the Two Bros Podcast. We are two bros. This is the Two Bros Podcast and a happy new year to all our listeners and happy new year to you as well, brother.
1: A happy new year to you and a happy new year to everyone who's tuned in. Thank you so much for your support over the last two months or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks for doing this, brother. I reckon this segment of ours is among the most popular yet.
0: It is very popular. People love it. And, uh, you know, they keep asking us, when are the next episodes going to come? And I'm like, hold on, son. It's coming over the weekend normally. But, uh, well, uh, a year to forget, but a year to look forward to. And uh, how, was, how was your, your New Year's uh, celebration? Did you do something uh, special?
1: Well, can't complain. I was at a socially distanced rooftop party, which ended uh, about an hour short of the New Year's, uh, you know, countdown. Mm -hmm. So can't complain, really. Spent it at home with a couple of close friends and uh, had a good time. Made the most of it.
0: Well, I fell asleep by 10.30. I had no idea when the New Year came in. Uh, So I heard some fireworks go off because, of course, you know, that's what uh, people do these days. But, uh, well, I had no idea. Can't be bothered, really, if if you've been at sea for so long, birthdays, New Year's, it's all the same, really. It's just another day you get on with life. So, I mean, a fresh start and uh, hopefully this year is going to be different from the last year that we had. But we're off to a bad start, brother. There is is apparently a new strain of the coronavirus. Now, obviously we talk about things that are not in the news, but this is very much in the news. And even this virus has got, this strain I should say, has got a very unique, weird kind of, I don't have it with me yet. But uh, we're starting off with, you know, dealing with a a new strain of virus. This could be another repetition. I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. But, uh, well, remains to be seen. And uh, another you know of you know species having a bad start is this particular flock of birds in rome no apparently in the city uh when the new year rang in people blew off uh, fireworks all over the city the next morning there were hundreds of birds lying dead on the street apparently they got hit by those fireworks and they just they died <laughs> so <laughs> talk about a bad start that's terrible I think I think that's pretty much uh, you know the genesis of Angry Birds because we've been shooting fireworks at at birds for so long it's about time you know birds animals robots everybody just fights back at some point I think I think we have it coming don't you think so
1: I'd reckon so uh, the last episode we found out that the weight of all man-made things now exceeds the weight of everything that's natural on earth mm-hmm. And uh, I think we are past the point of inflection, really. All we need to do is uh, some sort of an intervention that gives sentience to mm. our birds and animals. And that will be the beginning of World War Three.
0: Well, not to forget those, uh, you know, animals in Turkey who are headbutting the locals, you know, and they're all obviously out on a rampage and animals, I don't know, it's that kind of a uh, world we live in now. Now, talking about New Year parties and stuff, apparently there's been an illegal rave party in France, okay, it started on Thursday, and it's still going on, and it's illegal. And people have been partying since Thursday in Brittany, and it's it's like a warehouse. Uh, it's obviously illegal, and 2,500 people have attended for uh, you know uh, for no reason at all. I mean, what's up with people? I mean, I understand it's been a difficult year, but would you risk your life for a, a virus and you know to to catch this virus?
1: Well, it's the uh, dichotomy of belief, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You end up believing what you want to believe, not what the facts and the logical arguments say. And if in a section of society, the prevailing thought is that this virus is going to do nothing to me, then it encourages selfish behavior.
0: Well, I I don't know. I've never been on a party that has lasted four days (laughs) insane. Remind, this reminds me of this joke that uh, Barney Stinson said on How I Met Your Mother that we are going to a what do you call it? after hours party? It's so after hours, it's three days from now. <laughs> Hilarious, man. But anyway, uh, sticking to some bad news. Uh, I mean, uh, while the world might have kind of recovered or uh, sort of gotten some semblance of normalcy back in their lives, and I mean, this has obviously been in the news, but it's not been in the news, uh, you know, that much. So it turns out there's still about uh, four hundred thousand seafarers who are stuck on uh, cargo ships who still haven't been able to come off and uh, you know sign off on time or get back home or maybe they're stuck in routes which are not allowing crew changes. So yeah, four hundred thousand people—quite a big number,
1: quite a massive number—and you know it's um, subgroups like these that slip through the cracks. Uh, in government policy, in uh, you know, humanitarian uh, response protocols. And this is what the concern is, you know, these are critical workers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, when the things have gone south, they've just been abandoned both by maritime law and by their companies as well as governments around the world.
0: And this is a point that I was making, I was having a discussion earlier where uh, the case is that two Indian sailors had uh, contracted COVID and they had to be discharged in China, but they've been there ever since. It's been months and uh, nothing has been done. And I think for the common man, they're all about the, you know, the mongering where they can, uh, you know, go out and declare that let's go do this, let's go do that. But it's people like, uh, you know, seafarers who have to visit these borders, for instance, and... Uh, You know, they get stuck in these uh, bureaucratic circles. For instance, Indian sailors don't have shore leave in in Pakistan. They cannot step off the ship at all because uh, India and Pakistan cannot get along. You know, just uh, things like these that really affect the common man and the people who really get affected are, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. But uh, yeah, definitely a crisis and it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. So yeah, there you have it. Now, moving on to some uh, interesting news. In terms of talking about foreign policy, Tesla is coming to India, bro.
1: It is. And it remains to be seen what their model lineup will be. I reckon uh, states will be vying with each other to make sure that, uh, as and when the investment decision is made, you know, to assemble locally, that they have the best sops and offer for Tesla to come in. It will be a big, big, at least brownie points victory for whichever state manages to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it will be a toss-up between Maharashtra and Tamil Nadu because these are the uh, most developed auto states and this these are where the auto hubs are. Uh, can't rule out something like a Gujarat because of that uh, fast freight corridor coming up mm-hmm. between Ahmedabad and Bombay. Yep. Now, uh, the decision to invest in India may be a few years away, but mm-hmm. uh, the cars are coming for sure. And with these cars coming in, we must already be prepared for media headlines like Tesla runs out of charge 80 kilometers from city, <laughs> leaving owners stranded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is the kind of uh, newspaper headlines, which if you wrote back in class 8th, when you had your media studies or you know, basic English, this is the kind of stuff that would get you failed. <laughs> a- an F grade, but... Mm-hmm. When you do it as an adult, it gets you a pat in the back because it gets you 100,000 clicks online.
0: Well, fantastic. I mean, it's great news. And a company like Tesla coming to India definitely, you know, it's going to improve the infrastructure a lot. And uh, dare I say India lagging a bit in terms of electric cars. I mean, they're getting promoted uh, like anything. And a lot of manufacturers in India, within India, are manufacturing uh, electric cars now but uh, the infrastructure for charging them and the the, the range, for instance eh, it's just not uh, there yet but i think when tesla comes in and uh, you know it's going to take off a bit now staying uh, staying on cars for a while bro and uh, this is uh, this is by autocar magazine and they have listed out their 2020 car review videos which had the most uh, number of hits okay uh, now the list is very, very, uh, you know, embarrassing. I would say it's a very terrible kind of a list. Uh, first off, we have Fort Puma, which is uh, nothing exciting about the Fort Puma. Volkswagen ID. Three looks like a hatchback, an extended hatchback/sedan. Uh, the Land Rover Defender, the Porsche 911 Turbo S, Volkswagen Golf R, Porsche Taycan, Toyota Yaris, Polestar Two, Rolls Royce Cullinan, and a Ferrari Roma. Now, this is the point which I heard uh, on Top Gear when Jeremy Clarkson was still the presenter. Think about all the, the lineup of the present cars on display, right? And mind you, there are car museums where, you know, they hold cars from the 60s and 70s, the Chevy Impalas, the, the you know, the original Mustangs, and, you know, the Dodge Chargers of the 67 uh, Dodge Chargers and all that. What present car will end up in a museum? And that's my point. I think we're just making boring cars now. Safe cars. Cars which will sell.
1: But this is not just a car design argument, Mm -hmm. uh, brother. This is more a a mass production versus boutique design argument. Mm -hmm. Back then, cars were uh, priced such that, you know, if you sold a few thousand units, you were all right. And, you know, maybe back then, it was about a race uh, to, you know, who would get more cars on the road mm-hmm. and now you know everybody's on the race to get uh, more profitable so profitable uh, you know uh, uh, production demands standardization and mm-hmm. if standardization is the way to go then you'll have designs which are uh, closer to the mean rather than push the envelope
0: well think of the uh, the Honda lineup in india okay we have the jazz the city the civic the crv the brv the wrv and then all they all have one thing in common they have the same front grille that same a uh, unibrow kind of a thing with the same H badge in the middle it's the same and I mean if you look at any of these cars from the front you can't tell them apart if it's a I mean obviously if an SUV, if, it, if it's an SUV you can tell but between a sedan and a Honda Jazz you can't it's the same I mean that it's like what are we it's I think it's giving up it's boring it's lazy it's it's accountants rather than engineers running uh, you know the the boardroom decisions I would say
1: I would second you there,
0: that. and that's really upsetting because I'm—I mean, we have the technology to, you know, create. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but it's, it's one of my triggers. Me, really, honestly. Uh, anyway, speaking of uh, technology, which is uh, coming in, India apparently is going to get its first driverless train. Now, talk about technology that has come in, and talk about the necessary—the uh, necessity of these. Uh, Technologies, do we really need driverless trains and driverless cars? Do we need this?
1: Well, we definitely need driverless cars. I don't think I'm equipped to talk about driverless trains. I Uh think trains would be far simpler, it's standardized. Mm -hmm. Driverless cars, for sure, because I know that if you put in an algorithm in a car, a machine would follow it. Mm -hmm. But a human being on their own whims and fancies, you know. Just, just not right. They, they jeopardize themselves and they jeopardize everybody
0: else. No, so this was a point again raised by Jeremy Clarkson. I mean, I was a big Top Gear fan, and I, I really uh, hoped he was. Uh, I really hope he was still there. Uh, let's say you're in a driverless car. Okay, now it's it's going on by its by itself. But there comes a point where, let's say, you have two children, or an old man, or a you know very important person crossing the road, and the only option the car has to either hit them or uh, you know swerve across and hit a pole and kill you. And if the if the algorithm does an assessment that saving the two kids and, uh, you know, the important person is more profitable or more productive, your car is going to kill you. So there are algorithms in place which work against you in your own car.
1: This very question has been answered in a series called Upload. Okay. Where, uh, you know, spoiler alert, a very good series rated very highly and you should check it out. It's on Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, the protagonist is uh, basically at the receiving end of such a decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And essentially, when you start driving, the protocol is selected, pre-selected by you, whether it will be on prioritized occupant or prioritized traffic or something like that. Oh, boy. This, uh, you know, is an offshoot of uh, Asimov's laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. Where uh, a robot must not, uh, you know, uh, threaten the human, must not get threatened, etc. So, in certain situations, laws 1 and 2 are at uh, loggerheads with each other. Mm -hmm. And the entire, uh, dare I say, the philosophy of robotics is about solving these conundrums. Because humans have something known as moral switches, Mm -hmm. but robots can't be programmed with moral switches.
2: Well, I
0: mean... uh... I think in this case, it's either got to be that everybody is in driverless cars or nobody is in driverless cars. Because if you're the only one in a, in a driverless car and let's say you're driving in downtown Delhi traffic, you're going to end up like braking all the time. You're not going to move anywhere because that's pretty much how people drive. They cut across lanes and there's people crossing the road for no reason. There's cattle sometimes. We don't know. Dangerous times to you know uh, be uh, to. I don't know, it remains to be seen. I mean, obviously, we're not in a position to make these decisions, but interesting times ahead, I would say. Now, staying on trains a bit, bro. Uh, a man might have pulled off the most uh, ultimate proposal ever, and this is a guy in Ireland. Now, his girlfriend was a train driver, <laughs> so what he did, he knew where his uh, girlfriend was gonna be, he decorated the entire station. With, the, with a banner that said, like, will you marry me, X, Y, Z, whatever. And he had the whole, the whole thing ready. The girlfriend drove in with her train into the station and saw this. And obviously, then she got out of the cabin and the man proposed and everybody clapped. And it was hilarious. It was epic. Quite possibly the best way to do it. I mean, given the circumstances, that is, girlfriend was a train operator. Quite well done,
1: sir. Well done. Well done, sir. And I reckon the passengers can forgive a few minutes delay for that particular train.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Now, uh, some very uh, interesting news. Uh, talking about uh, the future, we have a solar orbiter in place. Well, it's not in place; it's on its way to orbit uh, the sun. It just made a drive by past Venus. Now we all know. We all, uh, you know, we love the the, the space aspect of uh, you know science. How cool is this? We have a solo orbiter now. I don't know what it's going to do. It's probably going to measure magnetic fields uh, of the sun. Just did an amazing drive by past Venus. And it gave us some interesting, amazing pictures. But uh, still not there yet in the final destination. And uh, well, obviously, when you talk about space travel, the most important question you come to is the fuel. And this is is something I heard. To accelerate a toothpick to 5% of the speed of light you need fuel that weighs the same as all of the mass in the universe. That is true. That is true because a toothpick, let's say you want to accelerate it, you want to carry more fuel, but then obviously you're going to burn out. So you got to carry more fuel to carry this additional fuel that you've carried. So then you carry more fuel to carry this fuel. And in the end, you end up with fuel, you know, which which weighs more than the entire mass of the universe. So obviously, we're going to have to work out a way to come up with, uh, you know, uh, you know, an alternate to uh, fuels in terms of we can't carry our rocket fuel that we have. We're obviously, the heavy uh, they are required to be carried at uh, negative temperatures, cryogenics are involved. It's insane. But uh, there is a company which is apparently trying to turn CO2 into air- aircraft fuel.
1: Well, when you spoke about the toothpick example, I'm assuming you're talking about chemical propulsion. Because uh, stuff like uh, if, if fusion, etc. is mastered, yeah, I then I reckon it's not.
0: Definitely. And that's case. that's my argument. And again, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, companies coming in with alternative fuel. And we spoke about this in a, in a previous podcast. Now the deal is, people have come up with solutions, for instance, uh, biomethanol, biodiesel, things like these are things now. But... <sighs> it's very difficult to mass produce. Now you can make it in a lab and it burns and it gives off less emissions from what your current fuels are. Now, obviously the the problem always comes with mass production. Same thing with this uh, CO2 example. These people made it, it works, it's in a lab, but how do you mass produce? Because the consumption is so high. Think about it, the number of cars in the world, the power generation that's going on, you know, it's it's, uh, gonna be next level. I think we're still off by... Dare I say a decade? Maybe we're still a decade off from figuring it out, and uh, well, I hope it's uh, you know done in time to, before we all uh, die horrible deaths. Now, talking about uh, weird news, we always love weird news, bro, because that's the world we live in. You heard about the Boy Scouts in America?
1: Not really. What about them?
0: The Boy Scouts. Uh, so they like they. It's an organization. They recruit. No, and, I
1: know about the Boy. Scouts. Oh, you know about I the Boy Scouts? It. Okay. Yeah. Now
0: this is interesting. Okay, so there's Boy Scouts and there's Girl Scouts, right? right boy scouts have now dropped the word boy and they just call themselves scouts and now they are recruiting women but now the girl scouts have taken offense because now girl scouts don't end up in girl scouts they end up in the scout scouts and there's a tough war going on between the boy scouts and the girl scouts insane
1: well are they <laughs> scouting for areas to grow
0: i don't know it mean, i don't know man it's just the weirdest thing man why why would you do that I mean, what what are you trying to do in Boy Scouts? And if you if you go to fight, if you are gonna have turf wars in the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts, or now the Scout Scouts, weird, very weird for me. I don't know, it's very weird. Now, talking about uh, let's 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 move a little bit towards this very interesting uh, post, this very interesting article I came across on on BBC Magazine. Now, there's a, a policeman in UK called Andy Pope. This man has a record of recognizing 2000 suspects by you know just using his memory like he sees a picture of a perp and he sees spots this person in the in the in the open and then he can recognize them 2000 people that's you know living uh, a photographic memory isn't it
1: it is and i reckon this guy must have been uh overjoyed at uh, watching game of thrones because to keep tabs on all the characters <laughs> oh, names and faces it was hard enough even in the books without mm-hmm. faces to you know muddle things up but in the series it's well nigh impossible you know i think the series has one of the largest named casts mm-hmm. and even then uh, it was so tough to remember you know the minor houses and the great houses but i reckon this gentleman would have had a very good time of it
0: well, maybe he's good with faces, but even I couldn't keep track of what's who's Targaryen and who's Parathian. I couldn't keep track anymore. Now, talking about bottling things up, uh, this post office in Kanpur has done a great thing, brother. It's, it's impressive. Very impressive. So now, obviously, the post office had a drive that you can make your own stamp. You give them a picture. You can make your own stamp. You give a denomination to it. Apparently, some gangsters got into the act and... <laughs> They, they got their own stamps published. Uh, guys like Chota Rajan. You heard of this man. Eh? Chota Rajan is not a chota gangster. You know it. <laughs> yeah. Said, chota Rajan has his, own, has his own stamp now. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, uh, did they get the stamp of approval from the local authorities? Oh, you did not. You <laughs> did not.
0: Well done, pun intended. Now, moving on to uh, more important things in life, brother.
1: Uh,
0: the US government has made some drone laws now. What a year! What what a time to be alive! These words are fantastic! Drone laws! Now, they require every single drone which is uh, in the US to register. And it needs to transmit its location at all times. Now, Google has a problem with this. They apparently say that it violates the, uh, the, uh, the privacy of people because some of these drones have cameras and stuff. Well, we don't know. Where do you stand on drones and drone laws, bro?
1: Bro, the way I see it, if the thing has a camera and it can fly and hover anywhere, it needs to be registered. I am all for location tracking because these things are just a smidgen away from being a menace. And then everyone's going to cry out and say, why weren't drone laws enacted? Imagine a case where 10 drones Mm -hmm. are flown into a commercial airliner that is about to land at an airport. Mm -hmm i i'm not i'm I'm nobody to say that if these drones are powerful enough to bring something down etc i'm just saying evaluate these possibilities evaluate drones in the hands of paparazzi
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah
1: you know already they have no concern for people's lives privacy etc and now you're giving them instruments to literally go to the windows Mm -hmm. of people so yeah i'm all for some laws and regulation i reckon that within urban population areas these should be regulated i say people give people a free hand if they're you know out and about doing their adventure videos in the wilderness etc
0: mm-hmm. i mean obviously we talked about that uh, the drone in china that was retrofitted with a flamethrower so people are getting creative with drones we don't know what kind of drones we can uh, find in the future and talking about things on fire a homeless man and this is a story that happened in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, we have a we have a niece there. Okay, interesting.
1: So, uh, fun story, and we'll digress for half a minute. Okay. So, technically, she's not our niece.
0: What are you saying?
1: Technically, it is first cousin twice removed.
0: How does that work? How does what that is, works?
1: What? And we should do an episode on the etymology of uh, you know family names. But uh-huh. essentially, a niece is someone who is the daughter of a sibling. Okay. But if it is uh, the son or the daughter of your first cousin, mm-hmm. they are your first cousins, but twice removed. What is, or once removed.
0: What is Once removed. What is once removed? What does that mean?
1: I reckon it uh, says once removed uh, either top, bottom, or to the side. No, if you're to the side, then you're second cousins. But if we're... Uh, let's say, the son or the daughter of your first cousin, you are still the first cousin once removed.
0: What a weird concept. Who came up with this? <laughs> God, well, awful.
1: App- apparently, it's always been the case.
0: Man, like how? Anyway, So there's a homeless man in Atlanta, Georgia, Keith Walker, 53-year-old man. Uh, an animal shelter was on fire. Mind you, he's a homeless man, okay? The man ran inside and rescued every single animal there was. And from what I read here, there were six dogs and ten cats. A local hero, bro.
1: Well done to you, sir. I reckon those sixteen creatures uh, deserve to live, and uh, I hope the community rewards you mm-hmm. uh, with you know uh, due sort of respect and uh, you know any anything that makes your life a little better. And uh, kudos.
0: Kudos indeed. Now moving on to some more uh, weird news and let's say alternative careers. Now this is a career, mind you. I have read this and I was I was shocked. Now, obviously the internet is a bit censored in China so people don't have access to the kind of internet that we have. Now, a British teen made the most of this. She started a service by providing English names for Chinese babies. She started charging 79 cents per Per baby name and she has made four hundred thousand dollars. Kid <laughs> How are people coming
1: up with these ideas, man?
0: <laughs>
1: More importantly, who needs that service?
0: Because the Chinese do need it. They have a Chinese name and then they have an English name. So when they go, because obviously the Western world can't speak the Chinese names. So they obviously mess up the pronunciation and they, they, I don't know. So every Chinese man and woman, they have a, a Chinese name and an English name. So that's where these English names come from. That's where they come from. So they need English names for the babies. And this teen provides that service, 79 cents per baby name. And all she has to do is probably look something up on Google, something unusual. Like it's not a John or a Dan or a Rob or a Bob. Uh, It could be, I don't know, it could be Artemis and you have a Chinese baby named Artemis and there you go. 79 cents that that'll cost you. 400,000 she made, bro.
1: Incredible. Incredible. And, you know, the power of the internet is uh, best demonstrated here. You Mm -hmm. know, you find a little niche. It, it needn't be the biggest service, but it's just a little niche. You find it, you do a good service for that niche, and you sit back and make money. And this is classical peer-to-peer uh, business. There's no middleman, there's no distribution, there is no product per se. It's a service, it is peer-to-peer, and excellent, well done, well done to whoever thought of this.
0: And then obviously everyone ends up doing it and then it becomes so mainstream that you have to find something else to do. But again, it depends on that one idea that'll give you those big bucks. Think of think of Netflix. They I think they're the first to get into the whole online streaming game. And now we got Prime, we got Hotstar, we got Disney, we got Hulu, we got oh my, I can't even I can't I can't even keep up. But uh, speaking of things that should be kept up, Elon Musk has a, a bright idea. And obviously, every space launch that they do they return the booster rocket and they catch it by their barge of course i still love you that's the name now however elon musk wants to well obviously it lands on the barge and the barge has to be towed back and you know the rocket has to be picked up with cranes and a whole lot of effort happens now now remember they have these rocket arms that keep the rocket upright in the first place and just before ignition they come off elon musk wants to use that to catch the rocket right back from where it came from and catch it vertically. They want to catch the rocket.
1: Brilliant, sir. Brilliant. (laughs) And I reckon if it can happen in a baseball stadium with a glove, you know, you're just supersizing it by Mm 500,000 and uh, you're making it happen. Uh, I mean, nothing he does or says surprises me anymore. And I think that in itself is proof that we are in the future. We are in the future that we read about.
0: Well, it's uh, modern-day Tony Stark for you. There you have it. I mean, nobody even comes close. I mean, uh, just amazing what this man does. Uh, Just recently, he released the schematics for his boring company design for, I think it was Las Vegas, where he wants to dig some tunnels and create an underground network of, uh, you know, cars essentially on uh, cradles, which move at uh, high speed, and it'll eliminate the traffic problem in, uh, in big cities. And the schematics look amazing. Like, look at the vision. Nobody's thought of this. And if, even if somebody thought of this, nobody had the the gall to go and attempt it. Amazing, amazing vision by this guy. You're talking about you know, uh,
1: hmm. what what impresses me is not the ideas. Okay, the ideas must have been thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. But the more I live in the real world and you know jostle with uh, things that you know stimmy these ideas, I am impressed at how much he can get pushed through. Mm-hmm. It's not the ideas that you thought of that made the world a better place. It is the ideas that you could put into execution. And I'm I'm impressed by how many outworldly ideas he's been able to execute. You know, past red tape, past naysayers, past funding crunches, past people saying, oh, this can't happen or or, that is more economical to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the man's true legacy.
0: And obviously, he's not got his uh, you know hand in one cookie jar. He's got Tesla. He's got uh, SpaceX. Obviously, he's got Solar City. He's got the Boring Company, and he's also working on a neural link, a small implant that goes in the back of your brain, and apparently, it links up with your brain and transmits some data. And if I heard this correctly, and if I remember this correctly, it can trigger some self-healing functions because. The human body has that. It responds to placebos. So there is something there. And uh, Musk wants to find out.
1: Bloody brilliant, I say. Bloody brilliant. In fact, I was uh, listening to a podcast recently. It's called Dust.
2: Oh, yeah. I think you recommended it it to me.
1: And uh, lately, I heard the entire third season Mm -hmm. where the premise is that humanity has gone uh, mechanical. Yeah. Because of a cataclysmic event. And I dare say, the more I think of it, the more I realize that what makes us us is in the mind rather than in the body. Mm-hmm. So if bodies can be replaced, uh, you know, you have the altered carbon universe, you have the Terminator universe, you have so many other universes where AI is either gone rogue or gone utopian, and your mind can be conserved. So this is uh, i have
0: i remember having this conversation with another friend because the main uh, drawback you have the limitations you have with the human body and let's say if you want to colonize a planet obviously it has to be hospitable right that is one then obviously you got to eat you got to drink you got to feed energy to your body but if somehow you were to transfer your consciousness your mind just your consciousness not your body you, tra- you transfer your consciousness into a bionic or a completely mechanical sort of a being and then then the world opens up for you then the your consciousness lives in the cloud and all you have to do let's say from i have to go to mars from here to there my consciousness is uploaded to a mechanical drone on mars and then i have basically teleported that's fantastic you know if you just think of it it, it can happen
1: a lot of the cyberpunk genre hmm. uh, including uh, the seminal work called necromancer mm-hmm. Uh, discusses this as a possibility where consciousness can go uh you know here there and everywhere and essentially the word death has been replaced by permanent deletion or in the tron world mm-hmm. de-resolution okay so that is uh you know essentially when you uh, allow for full erasure of your consciousness in the altered carbon world it would be um Uh, it's called permanent death. Mm -hmm. So imagine a, a, a phase of existence where there's a temporary death and a permanent death.
0: Man, do you reckon? I mean, obviously, think of think of the advancements we've made from the last decade, even from 2010 to 2020. It's a big difference. Do you reckon we'll see these times in our in our lifetime?
1: Brother I have it on uh, you know the deep dark web a lot of threads on reddit as well mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, uh speculation but I firmly believe that all the people who can afford mm-hmm. to put their genetic material in deep cryo labs yeah be you know sort of preserved for the next let's say 50 80 100 200 years or till when the technology becomes feasible to Mm -hmm. reproduce genetic material and you know spin back uh, up you know bodies or consciousness etc i'm pretty sure it's already being done regular people like us don't even know because strictly need to know one-to-one basis but if you've got a million or two to spare, you put it—you uh, put your genetic material in a vault to be mm-hmm. spun back up in a few hundred years.
0: But when, will that be the same you or is it just a duplicate of you? How does that work? Is it the same consciousness?
1: Well, uh, I will, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, push you Sorry. towards this lovely movie called The Sixth Day. Oh, yeah, I have seen it. Arnold that. Schwarzenegger, mm. uh, you know, and th- that attempts to answer the question, is your clone you Mm -hmm. or is your clone a different you there's another brilliant movie called The Prestige Uh which deals with this question in a more sort of Victorian setting but I guess that's a question for the philosophers
0: fantastic I mean what a world to live in Uh, anyway moving on and talking about uh, you know the effects of human activity the Russian permafrost you know are you familiar with the permafrost bro yes so the Russian permafrost is uh, a bit of a, a bit of an issue because it has trapped these giant methane clouds in them, and obviously, as uh, global warming uh, goes on, these uh, uh, the, the the permafrost tends to melt and the methane gets released. Now, methane has a global warming uh, greenhouse gas potential uh, sixty four times higher than that of CO two, so that's a big deal. That's a big problem. Now, what, another thing which is happening with the permafrost is when this, these things melt, we are getting these well-preserved specimen. And one of these specimens that was found was a woolly rhino, some twenty to 50,000 years old, preserved to an extent where he still had the hair on the body. And some flesh and some dental records or whatever. Perfectly intact. And I mean, I'm looking at the picture right now. It looks kind of decomposed, but it's still good for uh, tissue sampling and, you know, getting, uh, you know, doing a lot of
1: investigation.
0: Very interesting.
1: You know, we were just discussing cryogenic preservation. There you I think it. this is the best example.
0: But then it just uh, begs the question, how do you revive this person? Obviously, there's, a, there's been a significant decomposition. Obviously, But uh, definitely something in the works. And I remember I read this somewhere that people have uh, assembled uh, the DNA material of some extinct species, for instance, the dodo. And they are trying to recreate uh, a dodo in a lab. And talk about the the great white rhino of Africa. I think the last two are left and both of them are male. So they have taken up all of their genetic material and hoping uh, that they'll recreate the species in the future. By just uh, using this material.
1: And there you have it. That is the blueprint of human evolution right there.
0: That to create more artificial life. And then it becomes, are you in the matrix creating a matrix for another matrix? And where does it end? <laughs> life creates life?
1: Well, uh, something that Elon Musk has spoken about previously is his belief that we are essentially in a giant simulation. Mm-hmm. He calls it the simulation hypothesis and essentially the world, our existence and our lives as we know it is nothing but a giant simulation of that higher order species. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of proof. Uh, I don't suppose you can negate this right away. You can argue against it, but there's no scientific proof either for or against.
0: Again, it's obviously a theory. Man. How do you prove it? I mean, nobody's come back from the dead to uh, you know justify it or confirm it for us. But remains to be seen. Brother, thank you so much. That's pretty much our roundup. And uh, I think it was a very interesting week. Uh, a brand new year, a brand new start and a brand new podcast episode. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: A brand new uh, start uh, for the year uh, and for the country and uh, the species, I would say. What is still old is uh, the mona—the monolith story. Oh, Apparently, a monolith has been found in Ahmedabad. Wow. Of all the places. <laughs> And uh, now I think whatever gimmick has been going on around the world has made its way to India. Fantastic. So, you know, maybe as the story unfolds, if it turns out to be one giant art trick or a marketing campaign, I think uh, we can thank these guys for uh, taking our attention away from the pandemic even for a few hours
0: definitely definitely i mean obviously well done great story apparently there was a gingerbread monolith that was made by some people for christmas very funny anyway bro thank you so much for joining us and see you on the next one
1: see you on the next one